Hey, if you got a copy of the scriptures or a device, Mark chapter 1 is where we will be. I know we just came off an extended season of studying the book of Mark a couple of months ago, but I found something that I didn't see that back then that I think will be super helpful for us uh, moving forward because we're starting a brand new collection of talks this morning called The Fight to Flourish. I don't know if you have felt this yet in your own life, but we are in a fight and I anticipate you realize if Things are left unchecked. They do not naturally get better by themselves. Metal rusts. Food rots, right? Muscles atrophy. Stars collapse. Uh, Given enough time, you all realize that eventually people die. Science calls it the law of entropy. little thermodynamics knowledge you can use at your next cocktail party. Law of entropy. Uh, plus, enter the year 2020. Talk about degeneration. My goodness, it was a fight for you to get here this morning. Those of you watching online, it was a fight just to get on the stream. It's a fight. Everything that is bad in the world statistically right now, it is up. Addictions are up. Depression is up. Domestic violence, unemployment, failure, criticism, it's all up. And because of that, by May, suicide has exceeded the entire total of 2019. So by May 2020, more suicides than all of 2019 combined. Which here's what I find most disturbing about that. There's no distinction made between the negativity in a non-Christian's life and the bad things that are happening in a believer's life. Like suicide, divorce, pornography, anxiety, depression is just as high now in Christian circles as it is out in the world. So make no mistake, even if you don't feel it yet, you're in a fight. There's something bubbling under the surface, and I have some good news. There's help available. God has designed some rhythms of care for your soul. We're going to spend three weeks talking about the rhythms of care that God has designed for you to flourish. We're going to get super practical over these next few weeks together. I'm trusting God will do what only he can do and start making some fighters out of you. And don't know how much you know about the fight game, but the best news is there's no weight classes in this fight that God has designed. And so with Thanksgiving right around the corner, you might have to cut some things out of your life, but it ain't going to be pounds, all right? So you're welcome. Calories don't count in this series. That's not true. I shouldn't have said that. They totally count. So the entire point, help each one of us, myself included, develop some rhythms, mature these things that God has designed. Today, I want to speak to you out of Mark chapter 1. A message I'm calling A Quiet Place. Verse 29. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, their house. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her coronavirus right away. (laughs) So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. 
Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Going to leave that alone. Men, might I suggest you do the same? Not bring that up to your wife next time she's sick. Or mother. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak before daybreak the next morning. That would be before the sun came up. Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Circle star, underline, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible, those two words, isolated place, your translation might say a solitary place or even a quiet place. It's all the same Greek word, but we'll come back to that. First, join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. We are asking you again just to be with us in this moment to do what you promised to do and not allow your word to return void. God, speak intimately to our hearts and souls. Give us attentive hearts. Give us attentive minds. Help us try not to make ourselves an excuse for what you're trying to say to us, but let us take seriously these rhythms of care that you've designed for our souls and let us employ them for our joy and your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. The quietest place on earth is not found in upstate New York, nor do you have to use sign language to communicate and not put toys, you know, batteries in your toys. It is not even a result of extraterrestrial creatures who are sightless. Nobody's following me on that, but it is in fact the quietest place on earth is an anechoic chamber at the Orfield Laboratories in Minnesota. Inside the room, it is completely silent, so silent that the room is measured in negative decibels negative 9.4 to be exact. And if you would dare enter the chamber, you would hear your heart beating you would hear the blood pumping through your veins. You would hear your lungs begin to expand and contract. And if you had just eaten, you would actually hear your stomach and intestines as it gurgled about and tried to digest your food. The researchers, as a result of this silence and the uh, fact that in the room you become the sound, researchers have found that this leads to Uh, what can only be described as insanity. Nobody has made it longer than 45 minutes in the chamber. Perhaps they haven't had any mothers of small children participate in the study, (laughs) because I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, this is amazing. How do we schedule a time in heaven to end up... Uh, participating? My point is, we have become so noise-polluted that the lack of noise makes us crazy. It's not just us, by the way. Uh, Noise pollution also impacts the health and well-being 
of wildlife. Studies have shown that loud noises cause caterpillars' hearts to start beating faster. It's shown that bluebirds will have fewer chicks. Animals use sound for a variety of reasons, including to navigate, find food, attract mates, avoid predators. And so noise pollution makes it difficult for them to accomplish these tasks, and it affects their ability to survive. Whales and dolphins, they found, are particularly particularly susceptible to noise pollution and drilling and things like that that we're doing in the water, and they rely on echolocation to communicate. So some of you might be interested to know that uh, in the 1970s, a team of psychologists discovered that children living on the lower, noisier floors of apartment buildings had a hard time distinguishing similar words, words like think and sink. And this resulted in them not being able to read as well as the kids who lived on the upper floors of the exact same apartment building. They couldn't uh, read or speak even as well as the other kids. Numerous other studies have linked noise pollution to increased anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, heart disease, and stroke. It's not just about what you eat. It's about what you hear. Studies in Europe have found, uh, in fact, that people living close to an airport are 28% more likely to use anxiety medication than those who don't. Uh, they found that 25% of people living in noisy neighborhoods where road traffic is a problem, uh, use, uh, uh, they have symptoms of depression than, than the people who live in the quiet neighborhoods. Similarly, people exposed to noise pollution are more likely to have heart problems compared to those unaffected by noise. Noise is a problem. Here's my point. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. Distraction often leads to destruction. Distraction, noise, we can prove scientifically, leads to destruction, uh, problems in your health and in the health of animals. And knowing that, you can see how it's no coincidence that when Jesus needed a place to pray, he looked for a solitary place, a quiet place. It's the Greek word eremos, and it actually has a whole litany of meanings. It can mean a desert, it can mean a desolate place. It can mean a solitary place, lonely place. It can mean wilderness. Uh, if you remember the, the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, it's the Greek word, eremos. Uh, for a long time, that particular story didn't make any sense to me because it says the Spirit is who led Jesus to the eremos. And it's only after 40 days of fasting that this tempter shows up to tempt Jesus. So when Jesus is hungry and tired, I was like, well, isn't that just like the devil to show up at the end of a long week when you're hangry and tired and it comes at us when we're at our worst. And so recently, I used to think the wilderness was a place of weakness, which is why the story was so confusing, because why would the Spirit do that? The Scripture makes it clear why would the spirits who led Jesus to the wilderness. And I realized I was wrong. Jesus was led to the wilderness because that's where Jesus found strength. It's why over and over and over again, you constantly find Jesus coming back to the Aramos. That's why it's such a big deal that we learn that the spirits who took Jesus to the wilderness, because the spirit isn't taking Jesus somewhere where he's vulnerable. 
This is the fortress of solitude. God wants to take you to the wilderness because that's where you'll find energy. This is where Jesus connected to God the most. So often, at least in my own life, it feels like God's not there. God's not listening. God's not talking. But maybe the problem isn't God's disconnection from us. It's our distraction from Him. A lot of people like to feel like God's not there. God's not listening. Feels like they're in a lonely place. Feels like this is a punishment. But God knows the wilderness is the only place peaceful enough for you to actually listen. That's why God shows up to Hagar in the wilderness, Genesis 21. That's why when God shows up to Moses, does so in the burning bush, Exodus 3. That's why when God commands Pharaoh to let the people go. He says, I need you to send them into the wilderness, a three days journey so they can sacrifice to me. It's why nearly 300 times in the Bible, you will find some version of this Greek word, eremos. God likes the moments like the cool of the day where he can come and walk with you and talk with you. And you're so present Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, in his presence, that he speaks to you in a quiet place. Back to the New Testament, Mark chapter 1, we fast forward to Mark chapter 6, we read so many people are coming to Jesus and his disciples that they have to, uh, not, they don't even have a chance to eat. There's so many people. Maybe you've Felt like that between work and school and laundry and groceries and the Curse of Oak Island premieres this week. And if Rick and Marty don't finally find some freaking treasure, you know what I'm talking about? I'm taking my shovel to Canada and I will dig it up myself. Sick of watching this show. But with the holidays coming, we've got people coming and going and over busy overtired. Jesus and the disciples are in the exact same category. In fact, Jesus' disciples were just coming from a missionary journey where Jesus sent them out and was like, hey, go preach the good news. Cast out demons. I'm going to give you power to heal people. They come back and they're like, this is amazing. And Jesus says, well, here's what you actually need. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place where we can get some rest. Translation. Even a good distraction can lead to your destruction. Even when you're doing God's work, you're going to get tired. And Jesus says, what you really need is time alone with me to refresh, to rejuvenate. But in order to do that, we got to get away from all the noise and interruption. And listen to me now, sometimes you got to pause the good things in order to get to the best things. I'm just old enough to remember when distraction wasn't as easy as it is now. You young people, you won't know anything about this, but there used to be a time in the olden days (laughs) where if you went to a place and there happened to be a line at this place, the only thing there was for you to do was stand in the line. Like You just had to stand there. It sounds horrible. I know it was horrible. And what, the only thing that you can do while you're standing in the line is pray to God that there wasn't an extrovert behind you who <laughs> wanted to start a conversation with you. And you're just like, oh, God, please, please. A captive audience is what the extrovert is thinking. And you're just like, oh, man. And so 
Uh, how is this possible, you ask? Well, there used to be a time in history where your phones weren't magical and they couldn't travel along with you. They were, they were literally bolted to a wall. And uh, the only thing it did was make phone calls. You couldn't take pictures and there was no thing as apps. And it sounds horrible because it was horrible, okay? <laughs> but uh, the moment you were bored, you couldn't immediately reach for your digital pacifier, like some kind of technology junkie looking for a hit, despite the fact eight out of 10 of you will do just that. Microsoft just released a study that found 77% of adults answered yes when asked. When nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. Yes. As a matter of fact, another study found that the average American smartphone user will touch their phone 2,617 times in the day. You, an average person, 2,617 times. That's the average, though. The upper echelon, the top 10% of people, smartphone users, they touch their phone over 5,000 times. That's once every 13 seconds in an 18-hour day. My goodness. Some of you, that's like not enough. But, uh, and it's not that I'm saying phones are bad, just like Jesus is not saying the disciples working on preaching is bad. He was saying, and I am arguing that distractions, even good ones can lead to our destruction. They rob us of the ability to be present, present with God, present with people. God forbid, present with our own thoughts and voice and soul. And this new normal of people constantly grabbing our phones, even while we're watching TV, is preventing us from seeing the world through the lens that God has designed us to see the world. Because what if all those little moments of boredom were actually potential portals to prayer? And not just praying that there wasn't an extrovert behind you. Like, what if those moments were little moments throughout our day where we're actually, instead of reaching for our phone, they were designed to wake us up to the presence of God all around us. Do you know that there wasn't even an English word for boredom until 1850? It's true, look it up. Uh, No modern uh, word uh, in the English language for boredom until 1850, and we only find it when nobility is writing letters to aristocrats describing that they are bored because they have nothing to do, because they are, in fact, hiring people to do literally everything for them. These people had lives where they did not uh, do any manual work. They did not cook their own food. They didn't even dress themselves. Can you imagine the horror show that that could be in some of if that was your job is to dress some other people? But uh, their entire lives were serviced by other people and they were bored. And this is the exact thing technology does for us today. It makes our lives easy everywhere. And it's why, pay attention, it's why the more you entertain yourself and your children, the more bored you will all get. 
Because there is more to do right now in the history of the world. And meanwhile, we're complaining about how there's nothing to do. While simultaneously bemoaning the fact when somebody asks you how you are, I'm so busy. You're bored and busy all at the same time. How is that even possible? Watch this, Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, mainly His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen because people are distracted being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There's no excuse for not knowing God. Perhaps what you call boredom, God calls beautiful. And He's just trying to wake you up. And open your heart, open your eyes, open your soul, open your mind to the people and places that he has put all around you in an effort to fill your soul with his goodness. I guess let me say it this way. The noise of the modern world is making us deaf to the voice of God. And all these distractions, particularly technology, are drowning out the one input we need the most. Again, it's why Jesus sought out a solitary place. It's why He commanded the disciples to come with Him to a quiet place. And this is not a new attribute of God, by the way. When God shows up to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, He's not in the roaring fire. He's not in the howling wind. Nay, he's not even in the ear-splitting earthquake. Where is God found? In a hushed whisper in the voice and head of Elijah. Just so you know, Elijah was in the wilderness when God spoke on the top of Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, when all that happened. Back to Mark chapter 6. Let's see what happens. Many who saw them, Jesus and his disciples, leaving for their quiet place, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. And again, we've got a good distraction, people, like sheep without a shepherd. It's important to see because there will be moments in your life when all you really need is a quiet place, but there will happen to be life. Life will happen. People will happen. Crisis will happen. Interruption will happen. You'll get that text. You'll get that email. That appliance will blow up. Your car will break down. You'll get sick. You'll get blindsided. And if you don't make the time for a quiet place, the quiet place will make time for you. That's what happens with the disciples. Because a boy's sack lunch and 5,000 well-fed people later, we read this, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat, go out on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd so that he could make time to go up on a mountainside and pray where he was left alone 
And notice why Jesus is up all night praying, because it was the only time he could find to get into the quiet. And he had to make the time. Just to drive the point home, you should know the book of Luke points out, uh, Jesus comes to a quiet place no fewer than nine times. I'll show you just one. A quiet place, that's a connecting place. Jesus, what's that word? Often withdrew to lonely places. Eremos, same Greek word. Quiet places and pray. Jesus knows what we need to know, that a quiet place is a connecting place to God. Disciples, they didn't get that memo. If you read this account in Matthew, there's a little more detail provided to us than what Mark provides. And you'll read about how while Jesus is up on the mountain praying, his disciples are on a boat rowing. And the Bible makes the distinction that the wind is against them. Only when Jesus shows up does the wind die down. Now, they thought he was a ghost. It was a whole thing. Uh, but the, the, the possibility here is that the wind was deliberate by God to slow the disciples down so that they could refresh their souls while Jesus is up on the mountain refreshing his soul. And they're so busy rowing, they're missing their chance to relax. And I wonder how many of us in our lives are so busy, proverbially rowing against the wind. We're so caught up in our own work, we don't realize God's trying to give us a place to worship. John Ortberg once said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed, and preoccupied, that we will settle for a mediocre version of faith. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And make no mistake, this is not what God wants from you. This is not what God wants for you. A skimmed over life? God hates the skim, okay? You can tweet that and include the milk in the same category. God hates the skim milk just as he hates the skimmed over life as much. And Jesus said, I came so you might have life and have it to the full. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all you who are heavy burden. I'm going to give your soul rest. That's what God wants for you. So why is it that just as many Christians now are struggling with anxiety and depression and self-harm, financial insecurity and divorce and sexual deviancy? And I'm telling you, it's not just because of sin. Don't give sin so much power in your life. Jesus was sinless and he still needed a quiet place. You tracking with that? So it's not that uh, sin is the deciding factor in this. I would argue that sin and busyness have the same effect in your life. Sin and busyness cut off your connection to God. Sin and busyness cut off your connection to other people. Sin and busyness cut off your connection to your own soul. That's why the divinely inspired definition of love, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard it read at every wedding you've ever 
been to, when he uh, de- defines love, what's his first descriptor? Love is, does anybody remember, love is patient. patient. Love is patient. Hence, hurry and love are incompatible. If love is patient, love cannot be rushed. Love cannot be hustled and bustled. It has to be cared for and caressed. Here's how you can write it down. How we spend our time is how we'll determine the quality of our lives. How we spend our time will determine the quality of our lives. And might I submit to you that if you are too busy for a quiet place, then you're too busy. Because God has a lot of things, but God is never in a hurry. And if you find yourself rushing from this thing to that thing and from this meeting to that meeting and you're never home for supper and you're always walking as fast as you can wherever you go and you speed wherever you go and you're constantly distracted and you can't categorize your life as patient. Look, what's Jesus say the most important command is? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, equally important command. And if love is patient... Are you tracking with what I'm saying? But you're not patient. You can't love God. You can't love people if you're not patient. To help each one of you with this, we've created this helpful little uh, guide that you should all grab and take on your way home. But uh, what I want you to do, my challenge to you this week, log how you spend your time. See if busyness is a characteristic of it. Uh, And... Uh, every day for the next week. See how you do week one, compare it to how you do week two. Because if the problem is distraction, then the solution is undivided attention, right? And I think what you'll find if you track your time is how shocked you are at how much time you spend trying to distract yourself. This is not a complicated uh, thing to do. We need an environment of undivided attention and connection to God. So we have to create that like Jesus had to create it. So what I want you to do here is log how you spend your time so that you can build in a quiet place. Develop this rhythm of care for your soul. Uh, leadership author and really guru Jim Collins, he once wrote, we live in a cacophonous age. I like that word. Cacophonous means noisy. We live in a cacophonous age. Swarming insects of noise and interruption buzzing about. Can you picture it? Emails and text messages, cable news, cell phones, advertisements, meetings, wireless web connection, social media posts are like mosquitoes and gnats. We'd run the risk of waking up at the end of the year having accomplished little of significance each year slipping by in a flurry of activity pointing nowhere. Leaders can indeed must be disciplined. People who, look at that, create the quiet space for disciplined thought and summon the strength for disciplined action. Okay, pastor, how? See what you're saying. I don't believe in Jesus the same way that you do, but you made a pretty compelling point there in your introduction. You threw some wildly 
uh, disturbing statistics at me. And others of you are like, no, I totally trust Jesus. If he needed a quiet place, I totally need a quiet place. Well, how do we do this easy man-made wilderness? That's an oxymoron. That's not even a real thing, Pastor. How can you say that? Man-made wilderness. That's not even real life. I have the microphone, and that's what I decided (laughs) to call it because I thought that would be helpful. And you'll remember that. Man-made wilderness. You need a quiet place, a man-made wilderness to quiet your soul and connect to God. And hear me, you won't drift into it. You know why? Because nobody will fight for your soul if you don't. So you have to make time. You have to make space. Man-made wilderness. Well, give me an example. I will. I'll give you three. Glad you asked. Number one, wake up before your device. Send your device to bed before you. Wake up before your device. Send it to bed before you. For the first time in human history and for all of human future, you now have infinity in your pocket, infinite access to all of human knowledge, and it will kill you if you let it. There's always one more show to binge watch. There's always one more thing to research on the internet. There's one more rabbit hole to go to. There's always one more Wikipedia article to read. To paraphrase Jesus, it's possible to gain the whole World Wide Web and lose your soul if you allow technology to run your life. And so as I was preparing this message series, I started leaving my phone outside my bedroom. Can I just tell you, it's been amazing I'm never interrupted uh, during the uh, uh, kissing time uh, in a marriage relationship that you can provide one another. And uh, I'm not getting woke up in the middle of the night because in God's infinite wisdom, he has had me hire every night owl on the, in the office. Everybody stays up late except me. And so I'm not getting any texts late at night. And it's just been fantastic. And I shut the TV off and there's no light. I could have given you hundreds of studies to talk about how light is destroying. And we have Thomas Edison to blame, really. Because did you know prior to this, Americans used to get 11 hours of sleep a night on average? Can you imagine? And then the light bulb was invented and now you stay up. The average American right now, six hours of sleep a night. You need to shut it off. And you need to turn it on after you wake up. Now, everybody wants to say, well, what about my alarm? My phone's my alarm clock. Buy a freaking alarm clock. $5 on Amazon. I looked it up. Hundreds of different ways. Battery operated, so you don't even have to have a plug-in next to your bed. And people are like, well, what if something bad happens? People have got to get a hold of me. Well, what'd they do beforehand? You know what I'm saying? And even if they got a hold of you and something bad happened, what are you going to do? You know, it already happened. And so uh, stop making excuses. You know, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but are you not trusting God enough to get a hold of you if he needs to get a hold of you? You know, I was thinking back, I was a kid playing out on the ice one day. This is before cell phones fell through the ice. Randomly, my mom shows up to where we're at. She's like, I felt like I needed to come. Good thing, I fell through the ice, mom. Thanks for coming. Uh, Was that a coincidence? Maybe. Maybe she was just so in tune with God that God told her to come check it out. You know, people say, oh, well, I, it would provide me closure if they could get a hold of me. 
Again, maybe. Maybe God's the one that's going to provide that, not a phone call. So people always want to say they're the excuse, the exception to the rule. And listen, you have to do what makes sense for your own life. I get it. There's some things that, yeah. But did you know about this whole do not disturb feature on a phone? This little moon thing. I didn't know what that was. Uh, but you click on that, only calls and text messages of people that you've allowed to come through will come through during Do Not Disturb. It's awesome. You can just click a, a little moon. So an hour before you go to bed, shut technology off. An uh, hour after you wake up, turn it back on. Get the coffee, say the prayer, do your Bible reading, whatever it is in life that you do to connect to your own soul and to God. Do it uh, and then turn the technology on. Number two, use screens for a purpose. Use them with other people rather than using them mindlessly and alone. When you use technology, do it for a purpose. Do it with other people and use it uh, instead of using it mindlessly and alone. So when you're in front of a screen and uh, do it with a specific hope in mind, don't do it just for entertainment. Don't do it for distraction, but rather do it for wonder and exploration. When you're on social media, start using it as an opportunity to thank God for your friends and thank God for the experience that they got to have and thank God for the creativity that they're using to express whatever it is that they're uh, putting out online. And don't use it as a way to try and sway anybody's opinion for anything because that's a horrible place to do it. <laughs> you have a conversation and don't use it as a way to take your mind off your own tedium. Here's what I can guarantee for all of you. The main reason we do anything in front of a screen is because it's easy. It's easy when the kids are freaking out in the store and losing their mind to hand them the iPad. It's easy to come home from a long day of work and just mentally want to check out. And it's easy when people are crying. You see what I'm saying? It's easy. And so we click and scroll and whatever. But here's what I think you'll also find is true. The more you resist the easy solution, the easier a new solution will be to find. I'll say that again because I got one guy with me. <laughs> the uh, more you resist the easy solution, the easier the new solution will be to find. How many of you all realize that uh, the hard way you found out that the short-term solution generally leads to long-term problems. So you just do whatever is easy, and then you're like, well, why didn't this ever work out? Now, I can tell you all this from experience because a couple of years ago, my family decided that during our 21 days of prayer and fasting that we do every January is coming up, we decided for 21 days we're going to fast from technology. And so uh, adults, kids, everybody, no TV, no uh, scrolling, no social media, no video games, no technology, 21 days fasting from it all. And here's uh, what happened. We figured it out. Like there was a lot of puzzles and there was a lot of coloring and there was a lot of playing and there was a lot of time out in the garage uh, if it was too cold outside. And there was also admittedly a lot of crying and fetal position, but I got over that. Okay. It took, it took a while, but I detoxed. And uh, Ephesians 5.16 tells us to make the best use of our time. So if you're going to use a screen, do it purposefully with the best use of time. Do it together. It's a family movie night tonight. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get on the YouTube and learn a new skill. It's purposeful. It's not just entertainment. We're distracting ourselves too much. Number three, last thing, be mindful and pray. Be mindful and pray. 
in your man-made wilderness? That's what it's all about. For me, when I hunt, I'm often in a tree stand or a ground blind for a number of hours, and it's my time to be mindful and pray, to reflect, to listen, to pray. Dear God, please bring a deer into this stand. What is going on? Uh, you'll have uh, like to know that I keep a little notebook and a little pencil with me when I hunt. Sometimes I write things down. I've outlined sermons before. Um, Jeremy, Jeremy and I are trying to write on songs. I wrote lyrics out in a tree stand before. When I run, I don't run with headphones. And I run eight to ten miles at a time. No headphones. Just listen. Be present. Try and hear from God. Be mindful of what's going on in my own soul. Where's God trying to work on me this week? What's he trying to preach to me? These are my man-made wilderness moments. And in a second, the band's going to come up and play, and we're going to intentionally give you some time right now to be in a man-made wilderness. And it's going to be awkward. And your mind's going to want to wander. And I'm just imploring you, do whatever you need to do to just find one minute of silence and not think about anything than the fact that God brought you here this morning for a reason. And can I just tell you before we close that I've had to sit with a couple families now who have lost children unexpectedly, uh, kids younger than me. And in my time with them, you know what none of them said? Gosh, I just wish they had more time on social media. I wish they could have wish they could have watched the Tiger King this week. I would encourage none of you to watch that show, by the way. Do not use that as an example or permission. But none of them said that. You know what they did say? I wish we had more time together. wish we could just have another conversation. How many skipped conversations have you had this week? wish we could just share a meal. wish we could have a cup of coffee. One more time. Not technology. See, a quiet place isn't necessarily a silent place. A quiet place is a distraction-free place. A place where you're so present with other people that when you're, they're talking, you're listening. A quiet place is a place where you're so in tune with God, when He's speaking, you hear Him. A quiet place might have music, but it's a place to worship. And hear that whisper from God deep in your soul. And if you get nothing else I say, maybe this will be the only thing you need to hear me say. If Jesus needed it, who do you think you are? To say, I don't. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, help us fight for this rhythm of care that you've designed for us to be encouraged, to be strengthened to release anxiety. God, to hear from you. We need that. We need it in our lives. God, we need more of you than anything. I'm so burdened by everything that's going on in our world right now. And if there's anything that we need, it's hope. Hope in Jesus. Not a president. But King Jesus, 
who died for our sins and can give us new life and eternal life. Government can't do that. God, we need you so bad. Speak to us. Help us understand that we're the change that you want to see in the world, that you've given us a a passion for a reason. We need to use that to make this better place. But it's so much work that we need to be refreshed and renewed and restored. We need this quiet place in our lives. God, help each person here develop this rhythm, not take it for granted, to use it to be encouraged and strengthened and to make a difference where you've placed them. God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know your son, anybody watching online who has yet to make that commitment to you, please speak to them right now in this quiet place. Let them know What they're missing is you. Forgive them of their sin. Help them make the acknowledgement that they're putting their trust in Jesus. Change your life. Change all of us to be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen.